A brand new podcast where we'll be talking to the expat movers and shakers that have decided to call China home. Each week we'll be talking to a special guest and get their insights on the nation that is set to become the next superpower. We'll be getting the backstories, the current stories and the survival tips on how to live in this vast country. So, if you live in China, thinking about living in China or are simply curious to see what makes this place tick, this is the show for you. As well as special guests, each week we'll be deconstructing China, looking at the bizarre differences and the startling similarities with the view to giving you all the info you need on this fascinating culture. Hey everybody, uh, welcome back to Hey Joe podcast. This is episode number two and today I'm going to be speaking with my uh, co-podder Gav Munro who's from uh, Manchester in the UK. Uh, Gav is an artist, musician, uh, comedy night promoter and uh, many other things to many other people here in the city of Hangzhou. So Gav, Welcome. Thanks, David. It's good to be here yep. on our own podcast. Yes. Well, we're going to... Last week we interviewed me, and this week it only seems fair that we interview you, Gav. Well, very so, kind of you. So you've been in China now, is it over 10 years? This is my 10th year now. Your 10th yeah. year. So a, tenth a decade year. here in the Middle Kingdom. Yes, indeed. Um, for your sins. Mm-hmm. So if you can, first of all, cast your mind back to just before you were coming to China... Uh, what were you doing and what sort of led you to come to Hangzhou? Okay. Um, before I came to China, I was working in the UK and I had a really boring job as a technical um, a technical guy with a security company. Right. It's really boring. I'm not even going to talk about it because it's really boring. And I just decided, and I was, yeah, I was at a stage in my life, I was 33 and I was thinking, this can't be it. There's got to be something else. So I decided mm. to buy... Uh, around the world ticket, um, oh. there were some good deals going. I don't know if you remember, but you could go around the world for a, a thousand pounds, and you could stop in as many destinations as possible. So, I got um, I got that ticket. First destination was Thailand. Nice. Yeah. Super fell in love with the place. Yeah. Naturally. So I stayed there for eight months, and then I spent all my money. Um, and I was supposed to go to Australia. It was the next stop, but I needed to make some money and. So my brother had been in China for six or seven years by then. Right. And he said to me, well, come across for a few months, do a bit of teaching. and um, Just to get some more funds so you could continue your yeah. trip. So, so you had a round-the-world trip, but you so far only been to Thailand. Yeah. Because you loved it so much. Yeah. Spent all your money. Spent all your money. And you- needed to get some, some work in to get some more money. So you went to China where your brother Don had been working. Yeah. So did you, did you, uh, did you continue your trip? No, that was ah. it. That was 10 years ago. So that was 10 years. That was me. So your around the world trip was turned not into so around the world. Not so around the world. <laughs> around Just ha- Thailand. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was, it was good. It was some uh, memorable stories. And, uh, I'm yeah, sure. Was, Maybe that's for another podcast. An so. X-rated yeah. podcast. <laughs> so you came to China on, on your brother's invitation. Yeah. Um, and what did he get you doing? Um... He didn't really get me. He he didn't really get me doing that much. He he offered me a place to stay, which was good, and then um, he pretty much said, "Oh, you know, go out there and see what you can what you can find." And I met up with some great people, and I was working within a, a month or two of being here. I um, I was playing 
around the bars. Playing uh, music, gu- playing guitar. Yeah, yeah, guitar and singing and making some, making a, a, enough money to get by. Yeah. And then I, uh, I started teaching mm-hmm. um, to... Which is, you know... When people come to China, that's that's I think ninety percent of people. Yeah, it's because it's there's a there's a huge demand for huge. Yeah, even more ten years ago, it was crazy ten years ago. So and it was a way to get a visa, obviously, because I came here on a tourist visa, and to stay here a bit longer, I needed to get another kind of visa. And teaching is the um, was the obvious choice. So and it's something that I still do to this day because I I I do really enjoy it. Unlike a lot of maybe a lot of people here who don't you know see it as a bit of a a chore, Mm. I love teaching and the kids that I've taught I've taught since they were two or three so now they're you know they're, they're all grown up so there's no way it's like I'm a little family that sounds so fucking cheesy doesn't it? <laughs> no but I can imagine over that length of time because these kids have grown yeah now, yeah know, turned into serial killers and serial killers drug addicts and it's all thanks to you hold <laughs> on to me mate hold on to me so so you okay so you came to China what were your first impressions in those first couple of weeks if you can cast your mind back oh, through God, decades I was terrified yeah. I, when I first came here, I was terrified because I came on my own. I didn't know anybody. Oh, I knew my brother and, he, and his mates. But it was a bit, it was a really overwhelming culture shock when I came here because unlike Thailand, um, mm. where it, there's lots of foreigners and a lot of things are, you know, and, and English is quite a common language. China just was alien to me when I first came here. So I, I, di- I did have a big culture shock at first, which was yeah. which was crazy. But, you know, you push on through it. And um, and what kind of things were you uh, surprised by when you first came to China? Like, did you have did you have a lot of preconceptions through your brother or any information? Was he feeding you information? No, no. I talked to my brother like every week when I was back home. And um, it, China was a bit of a mystery 10 years ago. It's, yeah. it's opened up a bit more now, but I went, went back home, you know, you couldn't. There was very little information about everyday life in China and what it was like, an expat life in China. It was, it was totally, you know, it was totally yeah. weird. And it was like the internet wasn't like it, what it is now. So mm. it was, it was a real struggle to get information. So you yep. just can't, you know. I got here not really knowing anything about the about the place. That's exciting, huh? Yeah, brilliant. Really yeah, it was really good. You. And I, you know, yeah. So it's um, because I mean now, you know, it's Hangzhou has developed very. And you, you know, you, you yeah. witnessed this yourself. Yeah. I've witnessed it over the five years I've been here. Yeah. You know, it's developed a rate of knots, which I've never seen before anywhere I've ever lived. No. And now you've got, you know, for example, not that this is terribly important, but the Starbucks is everywhere. Yep. You know, there's coffee shops, there's lots of bars. So I'm, I'm imagining that 10 years ago, there weren't really much of that around. No, no. when I came here, first of all, I came here actually 16 years ago for a holiday, just when my brother came over, just to make sure he was okay. Mm. I came over for a month and it was the time when the first McDonald's opened in, 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 in this city. Um, yeah, and it was a big, it was a huge deal yeah. for everybody. And now there's McDonald's on every street corner, Starbucks, like you say. It's all getting a little bit more westernised in the in the, in, in the, the scheme of the scheme of things. But yeah. you're right, this city has just grown massively, yeah. and people's mindsets has, has, has grown massively as well. In the, yeah, in the, I mean, it, you, I don't think you can you can't for, for people listening who don't necessarily know Hangzhou, it's it's. You can't really class it as an international city in the same way that you can, uh, say, Beijing or Shanghai. But no. it's it's slowly getting there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know? It is. And I've lived in Shanghai uh, for a year as well while I've been here. So I've seen both cities and, and how they are. And, and you're right, Shanghai is a much more international city because it's, it's got much more of a history of... Um, 
you know, international people yeah. and it's a multicultural city, I see. You know, you see a lot of different yeah. kinds of nationalities when you walk around. Hangzhou is, is a very um, traditional Chinese city that's mm. all of a sudden had this massive economic boom. And although, although it's only like 100 and whatever it is, 160 kilometres from, from Shanghai, it's a very, very different city. But it, it is becoming um, yeah. international and, you know. Yeah, because, I mean, Shanghai in the early, early 20th century had... Uh quite large, vibrant expat uh, community. And it was colonised, you know, I mean, it was given yeah. special, I mean, colonised, it was, it was given special regions by the government yes. to different uh, nationalities. So you've got a, a great French concession there, you've got a British quarter, you had, you know, you had all different sorts. The Dutch had a, had a quarter there as well. So it is a much, because of that history, however good or bad it was, it's, it has developed into a real um, multicultural yeah, Continental's it's gone. quite a comfortable place to live. For, like if you, you know, it, 10 years ago, if you came to Shanghai instead of Hangzhou, you probably would have had a, a vastly different experience, wouldn't you? Hugely different. Yeah. yeah, hugely different. But that, for me, that makes Hangzhou, that appeals to me because when you come to Hangzhou, it's, you're taking a step, certainly 10 years ago, you're taking a step into the unknown. Definitely. Oh, definitely. And Which, you know. There's a lot of excitement that comes with that. And you as an individual having to find your feet in that environment, like how did it go with the language? Uh, the language, um, like anything, it was, it was, a, it was, I went to university for uh, two terms, I think uh, 12 months in total. Whilst so, in Hangzhou? Yeah, the second, second year or third year I was here. Um, and it, it's intense, you know, you, you go yeah. every day, it's, a, it's, it's eight hours, um, it's intense to learn the language and we were learning a lot of the characters as well, which is, 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 is another, it's a science in itself. But, um, yeah, it gave me enough to get by and like now I can get by in the city. I'm not a conversation. I can't speak Chinese in a conversational way, but I can certainly get round and get by and, you know, understand yeah. what people are talking about. So, um, yeah. Great stuff. So, so you're teaching a, a little while, but you're also, um, playing music, which you're still doing now. Yeah. And, um, but, now you're more known as a, as an artist, and that's what you're kind of doing now. Um, that's what your main focus is now. And I've spoke to you about this before, but uh, people listening might not know about your art and uh, the, your, how your art has developed whilst in China. Because I know that you did some back in Manchester, <clears throat> and then you, I guess when you first came to China, it wasn't really your focus at yeah. that point. So when did, your, uh, when did you rekindle your love of art here in Hangzhou? Well... Thanks for the artist thing. I always cringe when people say artist because I kind of consider myself a painter because... Like a painter-decorator. <laughs> I can do your whole stairs on landing. I can give you a good deal. <laughs> no, because I think that... I don't think I've reached that point yet where yeah. I'm an artist. I know it's a, it's a technicality, but... Um, yeah, I know what you mean. It's... Um, I started doing it again here, out of boredom, really, uh, because there was... There's a... This city's a bit of a party city, so there's not, you know, there's a, 10 years ago, there wasn't much more to do than go out and get bladded every night. Mm. Got a bit sick of that, and I wanted to do something that kept me at home and just kept me, you know, stimulated and, and, and things. And I was, basically, I was doing, I started painting because I couldn't find any, I wanted to decorate my apartment, and I couldn't yeah. find any paintings that would, that would you know, that, that, that were like my kind of style. Mm. So I, um, I just... Uh, I just painted some. And then people who come round to the apartment would say, oh, I like that. That's good. Well, you know, can you do me one? I'd do them one. And then it just like kind of 
it grew and grew. So, and then I started to get commissions from people for portraits and things. I, I, I do mainly portraits. And then, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I've had a few exhibitions and sold like, you know, for me, quite a lot of paintings. So I'm, I'm really, uh, I've yeah, you're been doing really a lot, aren't you? And, and how is it getting exhibitions here for anyone who's listening who might want to follow this kind of path and come over here and uh, in the spare time start painting? And uh... you know what, David, it's easy. It's easy. I would, I would encourage people, budding artists who wanted to come to China to show their work, just come over and 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 do it because there's tons of opportunities to to show your stuff. But I mean, you've got to, you know, you've got to do the graft. You've got to, you know, you've yeah. got to don't like network, but meet the right people and, 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 you know, yeah. and, 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 and do all that. But, um, yeah, it's. So much... you found it quite easy and people are quite open-minded so you can get exhibitions. You know, if you meet the right people, it can happen quite quickly. Definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. It would be more difficult in Shanghai, but as we were talking about before, this city that we are, Hangzhou that we're in is much now is much more inviting of Western art and music. Yes. And it's almost like it's hungry for it. So yeah, it's not like Shanghai where they've, you know, they've, you know, um, they've had Western art over there for the, the longest time. This city is like, you know, yeah, let's, let's, yeah. you know, show me your art and then let's get, let, you know, let, let's do it. So it's a much more, it's a much better place to come and, and, and do that, whether it be music or whether it be uh, painting or, or anything. It's, um, it's certainly the place to, to Great. come. Mm-hmm. And Hangzhou itself is, it's quite an arty city really, because you've got, You've got uh, China Academy of Art, which is one of the country's best uh, art schools. Yeah. And you've got a long lineage of uh, artists and uh, not only paint- painters, uh, but um, poets. Poets. Writers coming from this city. Musicians as well, yeah. Musicians. So it's, it's got, uh, it's got a, a, a deep, you know, deep-rooted appreciation of the arts. But yeah, like you said, in terms of Western art, could, it's quite an open playing field isn't it definitely yeah definitely also a lot of uh international students come over to the academy here yeah. to, to study as well which yeah. is which is great and um yeah there's there are a lot of great you know great young artists in this city as mm. well so because i remember when i first came to hangzhou i think first first time i met you i was in uh, there was a bar called maya bar which sadly yeah sadly uh, no, more. no more but mm. I, I went in there and i remember Seeing a lot of your art hanging hanging in the bars, you know, yeah, uh, like pictures of uh, you know Mick Jagger and um, yeah Marilyn, your namesake Marilyn Monroe. Yes, that's although it. Although it's spelled differently. Yeah. Um, so I suppose that kind of thing comes through just sort of being friends with the with the owners and uh, them sort of thinking, hey, you know, I really like your picture of uh, Paul McCartney. Can you do me a John Lennon or yeah. something like this? Because you know. Yeah, that suits the vibe of their bar, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. But to be honest with you, it was a lot more me pushing them. You know, like, can I, can I put my paintings <laughs> yeah. up in your place? And they say, oh, go on, and what are you going to do? So, yeah. you know, get your stuff out there. You know, get your, stuff, get your stuff out there. People see it. And then people, you know, hopefully people like it enough to, to, to buy some, you know, to buy, buy something off you, which is and good. And that's what's been happening with you now. And you're able to uh, yeah. put art at the sort of, the top of your uh, agenda. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing is don't be too precious about it. I mean, I, I know a lot of art... Arty, I've met a lot of arty people who come here and they're a bit too arty farty and a bit too precious about their own work. And I sell mine, my stuff goes from anything from like 50 quid to 200, 300 quid. It's affordable, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. Whereas people, sometimes people out price the stuff because they think it's, you know. Yeah, well, I think one of the things 
that one of your strongest personality traits seems that you're a doer. Mm. You know, so for example, with art, you you're constantly painting and it, you're you're working on your craft, and then you just let it go. It's not. It's it's quite. It's not like um, it's transient. I yeah, think. yeah, like, yeah. It just you know what's what is the point of you know just just do paint it, it, get it out get there, it paint out. paint more, and, and same with your your musical endeavors in the city. We yeah, should we talk about a little bit because um, you've been in a few bands here, haven't you? And, and yeah. I'm always amazed by how quickly you 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 know you'll you'll say to me, yeah, we're gonna get a a little rockabilly band, and then two weeks later you'll be you'll you'll be playing all weekend, you know, <laughs> in different bars and yeah. Again, it's like, you know, it's, it's, there are a lot of musicians here, um, a lot of foreign musicians and a lot of Asian musicians as well. So it's, but it's getting them out of the woodwork. So you've got to get, you, you, you tell a lot of people you're going to do something. Yeah. And then you get people going, oh, I, I'm interested in that. I'll do that. And okay, you know, you get the musicians out of the bedroom into a pub yep. and, uh, and, and do stuff. I think that's, I don't, I don't think of myself as the most talented musician or singer or painter or anything like that. But you've just kind of got to, do it. So I've got yeah. to try hard. You know, you've got to try harder, and you just yeah. got to you've just got to keep. Um, it's the best way to improve it. in anything, isn't it? Yeah, like just doing it and uh, going out of your comfort zone. Yeah, for sure. And in many ways, you know, you moving here to Hangzhou was the ultimate uh, test. Yeah, you know, moving out of your comfort zone because you know it's easy to stay where you are, where you've got friends and family. Yeah, coming to a place like this, which is a, a complete unknown quantity, it it. It just tests you as an individual, you know. Sometimes it can be hard, you know. Sometimes it's difficult, but it it does. You grow as a person, and and you find yourself uh, being able to deal with situations which you wouldn't normally have to put well, yourself in. I, you know what? I always think when people say to you, you know, like sometimes people say back home, like going traveling. I'd love to go traveling. I'd love to travel the world. You know, it's that's you know, you not you brave. You know, you you're brave or that that you know that must have taken some you know thought or something or preparation mm-hmm. I just say to them no all it takes is the biggest decision is buying a ticket because yeah. once you bought a ticket you have to go through all that shit you've got to go through everything yeah. it's like a no way out it's like jumping out of a plane yeah. with a parachute on you just you're doing it so yeah. the most difficult thing in anything really is making your mind up that you're going to do it yeah. and not st- you know and, and, and don't stop doing it Yeah. so I think to it's me dif- it's difficult for artists to let go of the work as well I think yeah yeah it is because it's quite precious and personal, and they don't, you know, it's difficult to, whether it be music or painting or whatever, it's difficult to let it go and let people judge it, you know. Yeah, I'm hyper, hyper critical as well. I, I don't know what it is, but I always point out my, my girlfriend, like, kind of, and a few people sort of tell me off about it because I'll, I'll have an exhibition mm. and then somebody will say, oh, I like that. And I go, yeah, but, you know, that, that bit there, it's a bit, shit you know I so you're self-critical yeah. yeah and yeah. it's just and it's and it's um it's annoying i'm kind of learning to keep to keep my mouth shut and just go right okay you know just yeah. you know so learning putting, to say putting punters off buying your work like, yeah exactly oh, i've done it so many times this. mate yeah but you know i know that eyeball's weird so <laughs> many times <laughs> oh, yeah, oh yeah you're right <laughs> yeah so it's it's one of those things where you just learn to go it's taking a sell yourself yeah you know i think it's, it might be a british thing or something but taking a compliment for me is it's hard work you know what i mean it's like what do you what do you say it's just uncomfortable for me so if somebody says something nice yeah i think i've got to counterbalance it by saying no it's nice a bit of shit really you know what I mean? no you're right yeah you know and, what and, I mean? and that's interesting because in in that's actually part of chinese culture like they they're not very good at taking uh 
compliments. No. Similar to uh, English people. No, it's and I like that. You find a few... The thing with me in, in, in China as well is I'm always looking for similarities, and it's exactly like that. I always look for similarities between our culture and the Chinese culture because you can find dissimilarities, if that's a word, everywhere. So what's the point? The easiest thing to find is the things that aren't the same. You have to try and find common ground. Find common you? ground, and, and you're exactly right. One of those is the fact that, you know, it's a very complimentary culture in that sort of sense. Oh, yeah, they dish out compliments. Yeah, like, but uh, the... Something that's easy to dish out, don't they? they yeah. You know, but all the, the receive... time, they're like, you're, you know, you're, they'll, they'll say to you, you're Pialyang, Pialyang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About your kids or about whatever. And... and it's expected that you are humble in your response, you know what I mean? So yeah. if somebody says to you, like, you know, you get it all the time, you know, you speak Chinese really well. Yeah. You know, you, you've got to say, oh, no, I've only studied a little <laughs> bit. Please, are you kidding me? You know, it's, ter- you know, it's terrible. But thanks for that. But you, yeah. you're, you're expected to respond in humility. And I think it's yeah. a test. I think in a way... It's a really good little social thing because it's a test of somebody's humility. You know, if you, if you, you, know, if you said to somebody, um, you're really beautiful, and they go, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm just like absolutely A1 beautiful. You know they're a cock, so you know straight away. You know what I mean? It's a <laughs> yeah. good little filter to go, oh, no, they're okay. If they're, hu- if they're, you know, if they're humble about something, they're okay. Yeah. If they're arrogant, you know, balls to you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I think true. it's a little I don't know, social construct to get rid of idiots. All right, and Gav, so... You know, we know that you've done some teaching here and uh, you enjoy that. I'm still doing a little bit of that now. And of course, you're doing your arts. But you've probably done a lot of jobs when you've been around here in China, right, over the past decade. Quite a lot, yeah. Loads, loads of different things. There's, there's lots of opportunities, especially in this city. Just when you just meet somebody in a bar, they'll say to you, know, yeah. you, you can pick up a job pretty easily because there's a really close network of expats. Right, yeah. Here, so it's, it's easy. It, it, was easy to pick up a lot of different jobs and huh, that's, and that's do that. good to know for mm. people who are thinking of coming over. So if you get around, you can find yourself doing some quite unusual and funny things, can't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so what kind of things have you done here? Which uh, marketing linger I did a lot, in the memory? Yeah, a lot of marketing. I worked for my brother's energy saving product company for um, for five years doing marketing, and I also uh, worked for um, a company called Sherpas, who were a food delivery company. Um, oh, for, yeah, for a while, we used to have those. When I first came to Hangzhou, we used to have a Sherpas. That's yeah, right. And, Hang- uh, they've got a website, and you and they deliver food from local restaurants. That's it. You yeah, know, used it a few times. Yeah, I started that in Hangzhou about oh, really? eight years ago. Yeah, and it was it was great. It was a, it was a real um, eye opener because what I was doing, I was traveling to uh, Shanghai quite a lot because my girlfriend worked up there. So every weekend, I'd go up and see her, and I had the idea that um, bringing things down from Shanghai that would work in Hangzhou. So I'd look for something that wasn't in Hangzhou that I used in, in Shanghai. So at that point, there wasn't any sort of food delivery service? There was no food delivery service for foreigners. There was yes. lots of food delivery service for Chinese, but there wasn't like a, an English-speaking food delivery service. So um, I decided to give that a go and just, you know, and, and bring it down to, to Hangzhou. Um, right, I didn't know that, yeah, because I've used it a few times. Um, I remember one thing I liked about it is if your food arrived cold... Then they give it you for they give you it free next time. Yeah, there's some. I, I remember. I, I, yeah, well, frankly, it arrived cold right. quite a few times, so I don't I don't want to diss your business. <laughs> I had no idea that you were in charge of that. <laughs> but you know, the good thing is, I would get a free. Uh, same meal again next time. The service is great. It was started by an American guy, a really cool guy. And everybody who works up there is, is really cool. It's like a big family up there. And it was started by an American guy who came to Shanghai to to, um, to study for an MBA. And it was his 
he was given a project over the summer holidays to to have a business idea for right. you know for for Shanghai, and he came up with the Sherpa's idea, um, um, and it took off, and now the guys. You know, he's retired. You know, he's only yeah, like... Yeah, rolling in it. Yeah, yeah. rolling in it. So It's huge, I mean, in Shanghai. But, yeah, sadly, we don't have that here in Hangzhou anymore. But there's a lot of uh, food delivery services, which are just mainly Chinese. But I think yeah. I think you can work them, especially now with apps and things. There's, there's ways... Uh, there's ways of doing it. Yeah. And when, when, when we sort of decided to stop doing it in Hangzhou, it was because there were too few... Yeah. Western restaurants, and we thought, oh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put it on hold for a while, and we'll maybe start, you know, in mm. the future when it's so. Maybe it's about time again to start doing something like that again in Hangzhou. So I think I, I, I'd use it for sure because in my neighbourhood, I don't have any uh, other than like KFC and stuff like that. I don't have any Western food uh, options. Yeah, yeah. So how was it starting a business in Hangzhou then? It was tough. It was it was it was hard work. Um, in what way? Like the like uh, bureaucratic hoops and rings to yeah, navigate no, it, through. And the hardest thing was obviously you wanted to speak to the boss of the of the of each restaurant to get an agreement with them. Yes, finding the boss was a bit strange because the restaurant seemed to have like multiple partners mm-hmm. who all disagreed with each other. So you get an agreement from one partner, and then the next week it'd be like, "Well, I didn't agree with this. What's he? What's that guy saying? I don't, you know." Right. A lot of that kind of bullshit to start with. Problems. Yeah. So it took about six months really to get a decent set of restaurants to sign up to the service, um, and then what we found, naming no names, but what we found troublesome was then they were signed into a contract which basically said you know you can't deliver food but while we're delivering food for you you can't deliver food you know right. so please it's like sign exclu- here exclusivity yeah you yeah. know and, and we'll bring you more customers yeah um but in return you, you know you don't don't start a delivery service yeah. yourself naturally yeah yeah and we found that restaurants were doing that yeah which was a little bit disheartening because a lot of these you know i'd become friends with a lot of the restaurant mm-hmm. managers and you go there and say you know why are the Sherpas deliveries down this week? And they say I have no idea. And then you see a, you see a delivery guy walking out the door <laughs> with food, and right. you go, "Is that your delivery guy? Which 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 guy? Look go, over there, three headed <laughs> monkey, <laughs> distracting you." So that became problematic because, mm. I, as you know, in then the business, doing business in China is a lot different from doing it in the Western. Contracts don't really mean that you know don't mean. That, they're not as stringent as they are in the West, yeah. so people try and get around them. So, but it was a good. It was a. It was a steep learning curve. I learned tons about marketing. I. I we we signed up two or three thousand expats. So uh, how did you promote it to the expat community? Then, once you so so first of all, you go around to these restaurants, what you think would be uh, good clients for for this service. Yeah, I remember Angelo's. Angelo's. The Vineyard, French restaurant, Provence, Spanish right. restaurants, like th- things like that. Most and of which I think still going. Still strong, going, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, still going strong. So, so you'd make some deals which sometimes took longer than you'd like with these restaurants, and then you have to promote it. Yeah. So, how did you promote it to the expats here? We'd have big free events for them to come oh, to, okay. and basically it was a matter of just getting the word out. It was before we chat this; it's like eight yeah. years ago, so it was before you could really reach a massive audience. So it was basically going around the bars, giving people. You know, the vouchers for the service, you know, talking to people, yeah. doing events and um, just be making people um, aware that the service is yeah. available and get, getting them on speed dial in the phone, getting Sherpas on speed dial yeah. in the phone. So um, it, it took, like I say, it took about six months to do it, but it worked out um, 
it worked out really well. It worked and out. How long did that? Were you doing that then? Maybe like a couple of years. Okay. Enough. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned that nowadays, if you did something like that, you'd be using WeChat. Now a lot of people listening uh, back in the UK or elsewhere in the world might not necessarily know what WeChat is. Yeah. What What is WeChat? WeChat's now? basically the biggest social media tool in 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 China, and I think it's the best it's a it's a hybrid so it's a hybrid of the best parts of other social media tools so it's a bit like facebook where you can post photographs and videos and things mm. and it's you can create groups it's just it's it's i don't know if it's taken off yet as much in the west but it's 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 huge over here and everybody uses it yeah it's great, it's, it's and you tool. can you can also exchange money on there and uh it's, it's great for promotion isn't it it's great for promotion you've got yeah. qr codes which links you onto your official your business or whatever it is that you're doing uh, they have their own page and yeah and it's it's actually a really good social media tool yeah um I've, whenever my friends come here i always tell them to get wechat even if it's just for the week or two you're here because yeah. it's going to be awesome for keeping in touch yeah. and sharing like funny gifts of it, cats and that's whatever. it. It's the, it's the, you must have that that uh, that app if you if you're in China. So it's yeah. the first thing you should be downloading, I think. Yeah. And it's also good, like promoting the comedy night. It's great because you can reach a, a massive audience of yeah. the right people. So tell us about that. You've been you've you've been doing over this uh, past couple of years. You've been doing this kung fu uh, comedy. Yeah, and you've been at, so that's that's in Shanghai, right? Yeah. That's like an established thing in Shanghai. But you've been bringing over these comedians to Hangzhou. Haven't yeah, you? again, another thing that I thought worked in Shanghai. So why not bring it down to, to Hangzhou? And yeah. uh, I, how did that start? I went to watch a comedy show up there, and I was I'd invested in a bar in uh, Hangzhou, Hangzhou, and I was um, looking to do events there. And I just thought, wow, yeah, stand up comedy. The, it's never been done before, you know, like no. English stand-up com- comedians, uh, sorry, American stand-up comedians um, doing English stand-up. Um, I thought it was a good challenge to see, you know, mm. see how it goes. I love stand-up comedy. It's, you know, I don't know anybody who doesn't. So actually I had one person say to me once, I just don't like stand-up comedy. And I'm like, oh, okay, right. Probably at the wrong event then, mate. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was a, a bit weird. Um, but it, it's been fantastic because the, the guys up in, in Shanghai are great. It's, you know, they've, they're the, the, the real heroes in this because they've started this club um, and they invite international comedians across mm. from the US, you know, TV stars, film stars, people who are, you know, yeah. really high profile. And these guys are coming across really for nothing, for expenses more than anything. But they're coming across because they want to know about China, which is, which is a good, yeah. you know, it's good. So they come over here for like a month and they travel around. It's like a working vacation. And yeah. A chance for them to... Explore yeah. new frontiers, isn't I've it? I've met some, uh, you know, amazing people and I've got, like, such respect. Because, uh, you know, being a, a bit of a performer myself, y- these guys are just, like, um, uh, another another level. Yeah. Because the, the, they're so just... So are they funny offstage? Because sometimes, oh, sometimes you think maybe offstage are, like, you know, to save all the gags for stage and <laughs> yeah. just want to look at the phone or something. No, you know what? They tend to be pretty quiet. When you first meet them, they tend to be pretty quiet. The thing yeah. I first do is YouTube them. So you look at them on YouTube and you, and you see them and you think, oh, they're, they're funny. Then you meet them and they're usually they're the sweetest, polite, you know, quietest people. As soon as you get on stage, they're yeah. screaming at people and they're having a great <laughs> old time. It's fantastic to see. It. And then after the, you know, when they come off stage, they're all like, oh, 
great, go can I have a, you know, a glass of water, please? Like, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> wow. And they're just like amazing, you know, I, I, I always think that comedians are, the, the best kind of comedians are philosophers anyway, and they, they say yeah. the things that we, we don't know, um, you know, we think. And then we, when, when yeah. they say it, you go, oh, God, yeah, wow. And, you know, to me, the best comedy is looking at the world from a slightly different angle and giving you a different way of looking at things, a different perspective. Yeah, I agree. Like, comedy is a good way to get into the truth, isn't it? Exactly. You yeah, know, it's good, a good... Good comedians do that. It's quite well, uncomfortable because <laughs> they bring up things that you don't necessarily want to think or talk about. They do, and it's like with people like Bill Hicks and Billy Connolly and like my kind of favourite comedians, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. So <laughs> right. other, other people, you know, you get politicians saying things or you get people, you know... Um, uh, academics saying things and it's wow that's you know that's, that's bad but when a comedian says it and they yeah. point out the irony of something yes well it's relatable isn't it's it it's relatable and it sinks in and it makes a, a deep impression I think but how about because I've seen some of these events uh, and I always wonder how it works with the censors here because you know in China maybe some of you listeners out there aren't so aware but there is you know censorship is a is a prevalent thing you know, I'm working for a magazine, and uh, everything has to go through the the, the central censors in Beijing, and then the provincial censors here in Hangzhou and Zhejiang province. And uh, you know, and I always think also when when I, when I played festivals in my band, we have to submit lyric sheets. Yeah, and um, it always strikes me as funny because I mean, what if someone stood at the side of a stage with a lyric sheet? You know, like checking that I'm singing the right things. Yeah, well, I don't, it, think so, I don't but... even. You, you know, like in the international, a lot of international acts, a lot of bands uh, are, are banned from playing in, yeah. in in China. First of all, if they've ever showed any sympathy towards any any Tibetan cause, that's a no no. They won't invite them over. But the ones that do get invited over, cause, you know, like the Rolling Stones were here like yeah. ten years ago, they will like you say, have to submit the set yeah. list, the yeah. song lyric sheet, and they go through them and they say, no, you can't sing that. Like, for example, Brown Sugar was banned here 10 years ago. It's like, what, Brown Sugar? How can you ban a Brown Sugar from a Rolling Stones gig? But you know what? It's about heroin. So you can't, you know, you can't yeah. say that. The government are very keen on locking down any vice at all, you know, that's, 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 that's seen. With the comedians that come across, it's simple. We just tell them three rules. It's the three T's. Don't talk about these. Don't talk about Tiananmen. Don't talk about Taiwan. Don't talk about Tibet. Those three things... Anything else you want to talk about, you talk about. And, um, yeah. Have you had any comedians who are like, okay, Gav, I'm not going to talk about it, and they come on stage and say, so, Tibet. Yeah, well, uh, I haven't here, but I've heard about that happening in Hong Kong and in, 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 in Shanghai. And to be honest with you, you don't want to – it's a really weird thing. You do, the audience turns on you. I've heard that the audience will turn on you if you start talking about that. Or if you, if you start dissing China in front of a Western audience here – They'll take it so much, but then they'll also say, you know, hey, we live here. You know, yeah. I've seen that. I've seen comedians that have come across yeah. and maybe started to say a little bit too much. And the, the crowds turn on them. Yeah, and they kind of go, fuck you, you know, this yeah, is my, yeah. you know, I live here. So, you know. And also, like, cause if, if, some, if a comedian came and uh, wanted to break those rules, or it, it would have an effect on the promoter's ability to continue doing these things yeah so it exactly could, it could jeopardize like their nice saturday nights you know yeah it's not like you gotta you've gotta yeah when you're in china you have to just accept that these are things that um you gotta watch out for and if you want to 
if you want to engage with them, then it's going to cause not only you problems, yeah, but could cause people who are helping you come here. So definitely you to come here. So I and guess it, most communities don't want to jeopardize that relationship. Exactly, they? they're a big team. They're, they're a big band of brothers. That the the, uh, the comedians that I've noticed, they all know each other. It's a, it's a it's a really tight circle. So they don't want to mess it up for the next guy that comes across. So they're not right. going to they're not going to say anything controversial. And, and the thing is, I mean, who comes to a country? And then it's, you know, and, and start slagging it off. You know, if you're a guest, I always think if you're a guest in a country, play by the rules or, you know, yeah. or get out or whatever. And the, you, you certainly can criticise the culture. This is a bit of a myth, really, that people think, oh, well, you can't criticise yeah. the culture in, in, in stand-up. But you, you, you certainly can. We've, we've had one gig in Hangzhou that was cancelled by the censors, that was cancelled by the, the government. But we put on about... 30 shows so far, you know, and only one. And we got that locked down because of a competing bar, I think, rather than because of the comedian. Because the comedian, the content was was fine. It was was the arrival bar that didn't want, you know, the other one to... So have you got any, because uh, I know you've been taking a little break from that, but have you got any any plans to bring uh, the comedy acts back to Hangzhou? Yeah, yeah, maybe in the the end of this year. Cool. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bring a few. We'll, yeah, uh, so I'll have to look out for that. Definitely, yeah, I'll keep you posted. All right then, Gav, so uh, let's talk a little bit about your involvement with the uh, G20 Summit, which is, uh, as we record this podcast, it's... Uh, coming in the next few weeks and early September will be the time of the conference. Now, yeah. people who don't know uh, about this situation, and the G20 summit is like a, a world leaders forum where, and I think it's largely about the economic policy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's the yeah. 20 richest countries in the world come together yeah. to discuss economic policies and make deals with each other. And Yeah, so it's, it's a very big deal. Yeah. And uh, it's the first time that, a conference of this size has ever come to Hangzhou. So it's an incredibly large operation here in Hangzhou. And we'll talk a little bit about the implications of that on daily life here, which have been uh, quite, quite heavy really some, in some cases. But you've also been doing some things for G20 and you're an outstanding foreign resident. Whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah, Whatever that means. Yeah. So you've been chosen along with another 10 or 15 uh, foreigners here to sort of represent the larger expat community and uh, what kind of things have they had you doing? Yeah. Well, they were looking for people from different countries and different vocations to um, talk about their life in, in Hangzhou. And yeah. as the, a sort of, as a, as a ways to promote the the diversity of the city yeah, ultimately yeah exactly so yeah. um they got business people they got on, um entrepreneurial kind of people and um so you're 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 sort of representing the art world and the artifarty world yeah right. which is yeah, it's it's I'm it's, it's I'm lucky. It's a privilege, really. It's it's, it's been yeah. it's been good. It's been a bit of a ride. So we've we've done a few documentaries. Yeah, I saw I saw there's a little documentary about you, which is really fantastic. Yeah, actually. yeah, really slickly edited and uh... really, yeah, really good. This thing's going to go out on international, 120 countries on international so it's, Chinese it's been TV. Filmed and produced by Zhejiang TV. Yeah, yeah, which is a television station. Which also uh, people who are from Zhejiang Province maybe. In Vancouver or in uh, they'll Dubai, be it. they'll be watching it, and it's yeah. going to go on. So it, it's beamed in homes all around the globe, isn't all it? All around really? the globe, and also yeah. internally. And I, I heard it's going to be played on buses. I can't think oh, of anything right, worse yeah. than having my bald head on a you know, <laughs> my, my own boring bus. But 
that's um yeah it's been it, it, it's been good met a lot of cool people it's been a bit of a it's been it's been good because there's been a you know it's it's the G20 thing mm. for foreigners here and for the people who live here has been a bit of an inconvenience. The run-up to the, the G20 has been a, a bit of an inconvenience because the city basically is redefining it in its um, its infrastructure. So yeah. a lot of new roads have been built and a lot of new buildings have been put up. And, you know, you know, you know it's like here, when they want to get something done, they yeah. get it done. You know, it's, it's not like everywhere else where you wait 12 months for a road to get fixed. You get a road, like you see the road outside the apartment here, like... Four miles of a road. They've done it in two months. To get, you know. Yeah, and they built a new uh, like cycling jogging path here along yeah. the Qingtang River, haven't they? Yeah, which is um, goes for miles. I mean, it looks beautiful now. It looks fantastic. The whole city's had a facelift. Yeah, and you know what? It's been inconvenient, and I know a lot of people are moaning about the whole thing. But in the long run, after the after the G twenty, I think it's going to be really good for the city, and I think a lot of people here, foreigners and local, are going to benefit from the whole thing. You know, that's because it's. It's good to put. Hang- no longer do I have to say I live in. I live south of Shanghai. Yeah. But now be I live in Hangzhou. And people, oh, go yeah. We, yeah. We people's know that. ears will prick up because they're gonna be hearing a lot about it, aren't they? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So I mean, one thing that I've noticed, other than the you know the inconveniences that come with like road closures and and also the, there's been like added security checks, for example. Um, huge. I stayed in a hotel the other week here in Hangzhou and. Uh, Every floor had a different person who wanted to check your passport. Like, you were having, having to have your passport checked all the time. Yeah. But, you know, boo-hoo, no big deal. Yeah. But one thing really noticeable is the blue skies. The, the, oh, yeah. It's been dubbed the, the G20 blue or the Westlake yeah, blue. Exactly. Well, you know, this area here is there's factories that surround the, that surround the city. And I think in January, February time, yeah. the, the, the powers that be said, you know what, We're, we want to get rid of the pollution for the G20 because it's quite a heavily polluted city. Yeah, Hangzhou, I mean, it's, like it's, a lot of big cities in China can suffer from pollution problems. Yeah, it's, you know? it's, sometimes, it's, it, sometimes it's, it's the most polluted place in China. Sometimes it's the most polluted place in the world. You know, if you look at the AQI index, you're like, oh, right, wow, it's, it's, it's bad. So the pollution's really bad here. Um, so the powers that be um, decided in January to, um, to shut all the factories down, the local factories down. And since then, the pollution's kind of, disappeared so yeah it's been amazing it's been just great. it's it's bittersweet really because on the one hand this summer's been just glorious yeah blue skies big fluffy clouds every stars night. i saw stars, stars for the first time this week i've never seen stars in shanghai in, in hangzhou I looked up at the sky and i was like wow you can see the stars yeah you know that's... And it, it just looks amazing and yeah. especially where you are here on the river mm, what yeah. a wonderful vista but yeah. normally it'd be like a kind of leaden hazy horrible gray Everything's mid-tone. Yeah. The buildings are all grey, and but it's, yeah, everything. So the G20 blue, it, it's amazing, really. How the 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 powers that, that be have been able to uh, basically control the environment. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. quite terrifying. And I'm just wondering. I, I wonder to myself, like afterwards, I guess they're going to open all these factories back up, and uh, I'm kind of dreading the the yeah, things the are turning to normal yeah I know it, it, it will be that but the interesting I mean the interesting thing you said then it, like Ch- China unlike uh, a lot of other countries in the world if, they, if, they, if the government want to do something they'll, yeah. they'll do it you know yeah it's like in England they want to build uh, was it HS2 or something like that the high speed rail from London to uh, Birmingham or Manchester it's like you know it takes 10-12 years of talking yeah. about and planning and different uh interest groups getting involved you know and rightly so but here in china it's like 
we're going to do this and within 12 months it's done and we'll do it. with the G20 it's been like that hasn't it they've had so many projects that they need to be done yeah. by the middle of this month we're now in August as we're talking here that it's quite amazing to see it really isn't it yeah. and then on top of that they've been controlling the environment yeah um, so it's a very interesting time to be in Hangzhou it is and, yeah uh, actually a lot of people are leaving for the for the summit and actually actively encouraged to leave because you know they don't want to have the roads being too busy and yeah. um, I uh, an interesting anecdote from a friend is they've been they've been periodically closing down different sections of the city and if you're aware of this and doing like uh, security trial runs right so yeah. different districts is they've had a curfew so from 10 o'clock uh at night to four o'clock in the morning no one can be on the roads oh, no right. one can be outside of the house yeah and if you do, it's a problem because they're having a big, uh, like a dry run security thing. Yeah. And one of my friend's friends, he he was uh, trying to get home before the curfew, but he was stuck. He, he couldn't get out of the curfew zone before 10 o'clock. And he found himself in his car in the curfew zone at 10 o'clock. He was pulled over to the side of the road. He had to turn off his engine. It's like 37 degrees. And he had to oh. sit in his car until 4 a.m. Oh, you're kidding me. Yeah. On the oh, side of the road, he couldn't no. turn on the engine, no, no air conditioning, couldn't get out of his car. Oh, and no, that was man. it. And when four o'clock came, like, okay, see you later. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Jeez. So, yeah, this is the kind of thing. But it's interesting because I've never been in a city that's had this kind of uh, international conference happening. So I'd love to know from people who have been in uh, other cities that have hosted these kind of events if they had similar... Uh, Restrictions and yeah, uh, stories to tell. Uh, I have a feeling because China's always a little bit more full on than most places, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, I, th I think that from friends that I've spoke to, I spoke to somebody who was at the G20 in in uh, Nice in France a few years ago, right. and uh, they were saying that yeah, the same kind of security um, measures were being taken then, um, oh, yeah. but. Things got done a lot slower. There were a lot more protests, which, of course, there won't be here. Um, so everything took a lot longer to, to yeah. do. Um, whereas here, very easy for the, the, the whole city to be locked down. Yeah. And uh, yeah. people will do what they say, really. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be Hangzhou's going to be sort of thrust into the spotlight. Yeah. <clears throat> it's going to be looking beautiful. Everything, all the roads are newly, freshly tarmacked and. Uh, there's a subway lines are opening left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah. And, um, the sky is blue, so yeah, yeah, it's looking good. Yeah, looking and just good. remember that come September, the factories are probably going to go working double time to make up for double last time. time. So yeah, invest in uh, face masks right now. I think. Yeah, back to the smoky skies. <laughs> yeah, back to the smoky skies. All right then, Gav. Well, it's been really cool talking to you. Thanks, and, uh, mate. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I wish you all the best with your uh, art career yeah. and your role as a G20 Outstanding Resident. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Thanks you later. Cheers. Missing the point. In this section, we tackle some preconceptions people have about China and try and figure out if they're pure myth or stone-cold fact. Okay, today we're going to look at the myth that Chinese people are rude. Whoa, yeah, it's a big now, one. It's a big one. And it's, you think about it, it's quite ridiculous. How can a nation of, what is it, 1.2 billion people, I think, can be rude is, is crazy. But you do get these stories in the press, especially when Chinese people are overseas, that they're jumping queues, 
They're taking dumps outside Louis Vuitton shops. They're buying uh, milk powder in bulk and shipping it back and all these kind of things, which, you know, it's going to be annoying, right? You're reading about that and you're thinking, man, these Chinese people are rude, right? Yep. So let's just think about it. Is this true? Well, it is true that Chinese people don't really queue up so much traditionally, right, Gav? Well, the way I look at it, David, is that the fact when I first came over here, God, it just fucking annoyed me all the time that you used to see people being what you perceived as being rude, inconsiderate and things like that. The way yeah. I kind of got around it was that they didn't conform to my system of manners. Now, yeah. which is right and which is wrong is another question, but yeah. I can kind of forgive a lot of people over here by, from doing some pretty impolite behavior that I consider. So what about the queuing? I mean, because us Brits, like queuing is oh, pretty much queuers. a religion, right? I, it's an Olympic sport. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, if you're at a train station or you're in the, even if you're in the shop, people will jump in front of you at the slightest opportunity. Yes. Um, being a Brit abroad, I do try and pull them every time. I'll give them a nasty stare. Yeah, me too. It, it's, you know, I... Um, but actually, annoyingly, I've had to... It's like, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, yeah. majority of the times, I have to... So you take dumps in the street and everything? <laughs> yeah, I did one just 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. it, was, uh, yeah, it was a monster. Wow. But, you know, in terms of queuing, like, because if I'm just going to stand there waiting, all polite, which I probably did when I first came to China, I, it, it's going to be very difficult for me to get to the front of the... Well, you can't call it a queue, it's like a huddle. You yeah. Know? And so I'm like, I'm there with my elbows out, and if someone comes, I try and like, uh, yeah frown them to death or you know if i'm feeling confident or particularly you know hard done by i'll i'll say like you know get to the back i'll, I'll give them a whistle and a tap on the shoulder and uh good thing with the chinese people if you do that it doesn't you it doesn't they don't really get angry with you they'll just sort of laugh and say like oh sorry you know yeah that's it you're never going to start a fight in a queue because usually the people that push in the queue don't realize that they're being rude and if you do pull them and say, hey, whoa, they'll go, okay, yeah, yeah. no problem, that's just, okay. They don't realise it's not an aggressive move, it's not like an intentionally, yeah. I'm going to piss this guy off, I'm going to, you know, yeah. misbehave. It's just like, okay, yeah, I understand, you want me to stand behind you, okay, yeah. there you go. And it is, it is super annoying, but, you know, I think what you've got to understand is in, in China, they have, like, there's so many people, and for a, a lot of, in the mid-20th century, there was, you know, a lot of uh, poverty, and people were, if it didn't get to the front, to get the bowl of rice, That's it. then they weren't going to get the bowl of rice. And yep. it's just, it's very difficult, especially the older generations here, for them to just flip that and then conform with our sort of organised queuing system, isn't it, guys? Exactly. And in the last sort of like, we have a longer history in the West of having an etiquette-based social structure where, you know, we've been affluent enough to yeah. consider other people and, 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 and to have this, this, this form of manners. And I think in China... That's very new to them. A system of manners, a system of considering other people is quite new to them in, 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 in society. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed about living in China, if you try and fight all of these little battles every day, you're going to be... You're going to go batshit crazy. Absolutely. You're going to be super angry, yeah. super pissed off. You're not going to have fun. So you've just got to pick your battles and you can't stop everyone from queue jumping. But I would say in the majority of occasions, especially in like ticket booths, which I think is where most of the queuing takes place. Yeah. Most people are going to queue and you can't really do anything about um, people don't want to queue. Yeah. Also another thing that pisses me off with, this is a, a, a level up from queue jumping is if you go to a bank and you get your little ticket that says that and you, and you go to the, you know, your number's called, you go to the booth yeah. and then you'll be stood at the booth and somebody will just walk in. Yeah. Usually some fat entrepreneur, rich, nouveau rich guy and walk right beside you 
throw his thing down and say, what's all this about? What I've noticed recently is that the clerk there will, will say to them, no, sorry, you've got to go and get a ticket. There's a queuing system. So it's slowly but surely yeah. coming in that, you know, things are getting a li- little bit more um, orderly. But Yeah, and I also feel like I want to to show them the light in a way. Yeah. I want, like, when people push it, I feel like it's my duty to, to try and create order amidst the chaos. Yeah. Just so I can help things run more smooth. Yeah. But again, it's a fool's errand. Yeah. Because, you know, who am I, this one guy in the queue trying to, like, catch, you know, catch water or something? It's just impossible. Yeah. You know, so just got to try and let it go. And uh, It's like, when we're going to start the etiquette revolution. When? Yeah. Well, whenever... <laughs> suitable for you really whatever's convenient (laughs) so i think another thing that feeds into this myth that chinese people are rude is is that generally chinese people communicate at a much louder level than than we do yeah so you're on the bus or you're on the train or you're in the street and you'll see someone will pick up the phone and be like way way and they'll be (laughs) shouting and and you're like no one else really pays any attention, but as a foreigner, you're turning around and thinking like, you know, what the hell's going off here? Or there'll be two people walking down the street and it's like they're having an argument. They're shouting at each other. They're talking really animatedly and loudly. But in actual fact, it's just that Chinese people talk in a loud way more to express interest, excitement. Yeah. And it's, it's, don't worry, there's not going to be a, a physical altercation is not going to break out. Right? Yeah, and on the other side of that as well, if you, see, if you do see an altercation in the street, for example, the classic one is when you see two e-bikes crashing into each other, yeah. you know, and then the two, the, 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 the two riders get up and they'll scream at each other. <laughs> they'll, never, they'll never touch each other, but they'll scream at each other, one getting louder than the other until a crowd comes around and then the, the, yeah. they're dragged away. In a way, this screaming thing is a... Pre- prevents it from going anywhere yeah. else. So if, if you're back home and somebody starts screaming at you, yeah. the next thing is, you know, there's going to be punches flying around. But here, it's just a scream fest. Yeah. And it usually gets dispersed, you know, by the crowd that come around and say, okay, you know, you know, yeah. that, that's it. Like the volume's not necessarily a precursor to violence. Exactly. Here. Whereas in, and another example of this is that in China, people always uh, beep in the horn, right? And in, in the UK, for example, that's like super rude. Like if you're mm. in a car and someone's beeping, you... You know, it's an aggressive move. Yeah, it could be like Road Rage Central, right? But yeah. people use the horns here more just to let you know they are there. Yeah. So sometimes you'll hear a honking and you'll turn around and you expect to see like a really angry driver. Yeah. But you'll just see the driver smiling. Yeah. And, and he's just saying to you, I'm coming through. You better yeah. get out of the way. The other one as well is the, the flashing of the lights. If you're yeah. in China and you see some, a car driving towards you very fast and flashing the lights, they ain't saying, okay, like they do back home. They ain't saying, you can cross. It's okay. Yeah. They're saying... You better not cross because I'm coming through. But it's not a it's not an aggressive move. It's more like, well, you know, just letting you know I'm here. Yeah. You know, this it's super annoying though. Like, cause it takes super a while annoying. to get used to that. Because usually, yeah, like you said, a flashing the light is like, for example, if you're on a zebra crossing, which is another problem, people are flashing the lights. It doesn't mean like you go ahead. Yeah, it means it means I'm just going to put my foot down now. Yeah. I hope you've seen these lights flashing at midday. Yeah. Um, so to conclude, are Chinese people rude? No, of course not. Like in any culture, you're going to get a few people who are rude. That's a given. But is shouting rude in China? No. Yeah. Is beeping your horn rude in China? No. Yeah. Do Chinese people conform to the Western rules of etiquette? No. No. They're developing their own rule of etiquette. So what you may perceive as being rude, you just ask yourself, look, it's it's a different system in a different country. Did I just see that? 
Whether you're living in China or just visiting, you're guaranteed to see some bizarre things. In this section, we look at some of those weird and wacky sites and try and get to the bottom of them once and for all. All right, today we're going to talk about uh, some fecal matters. Um, when you're in China, uh, you will occasionally see people uh, taking a dump in places which uh, it's not appropriate to take a dump. Yeah. You know? Like, for example, uh, in the middle of a hotel lobby. Usually it's, it's babies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, you'd be, you'd be extremely unlucky to see a 50-year-old guy drop his pants and yeah. uh, empty his bowels on the sidewalk. Well, Although, too surprised. Yeah, I mean, you might see that. Yeah. But, I mean, for, what, for example, one time I was, in, uh, I was in Shanghai and I was coming out of a uh, restaurant and a full stomach and uh, I was just surveying the street seat and my, I made eye contact with a, a child's bunghole Uh-oh. just at the moment that the turtle's head was coming out. Oh, and, and dear. It was just, you know, unfortunate for me because my eye, my eye line just met up with this. Wow. And it just came out on the street and I was just, you know, of course, I'm shocked. Yeah. But at that's the same time, when you're in China, you just kind of just think, you just brush it off and, oh, hey-ho. And yeah. it's very very common to see grandmas and clean uh, and maids outside just taking the little toddler, yeah. po- poking it over the uh, over a bush yeah. uh, with its uh, split trousers and just letting the whole of its breakfast dump out into the, um, <laughs> in, 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 yeah, into the shrubbery. Yeah, because kids, you'll, another thing you'll notice is that Kids, young, especially toddlers, they, they wear like pants that are open at the crotch. So mm-hmm. they've got their privates blowing in the wind. Easy exit. Exactly, yeah. And, um, you know, in the West, that's crazy because kids are wearing uh, nappies or diapers, right? Yeah. But if you think about it, it's like uh, pretty good that not all like, because there'd be like a, a billion uh, <laughs> used nappies floating around in the Catastrophic ether. environmental disaster if everyone wore disposable nappies in. in, in in China. Yeah, so it, it's in some... But, you know, it, it's just... You just got to use common sense, and sometimes I think Chinese people don't in this instance because, you know... Okay, so if, you, if your child needs to use the bathroom, right, for number two, mm-hmm. there are... Or you could go and find, like, a little secluded place if there's no toilets around. Yeah. Or you just take the kid to a uh, public bathroom because, you know, in my, certainly in the cities... There's lots of public bathrooms, but, you know, not always. So you just, yeah. When you got to go, you got to go. Yeah, but just not like, for example, I was in a five-star hotel one time and this eight-year-old just dropped his kex and just curled one out in the middle of like a marble centerpiece under a chandelier in a hotel reception. I'm glad you said reception and not restaurant. That would be a <laughs> hell of a buffet. Well, I'm sure there's people sat around enjoying like a croissant or whatever. Yeah, Oh, pano chocolate. <laughs> yes. So the bottom line is, if you come to China or if you're in China, don't be too surprised if you do see uh, uh, people. Oh, another one as well is is, is when you, I was um, traveling down from Yellow Mountain this weekend and I went to a service station toilet. Not recommended to call in at a service station, no. either for food or for, for, the, for the bathroom. I walked into this um, toilet and I saw a guy squatting down, smoking a cigarette, Reading his iPhone, you know, reading his phone, um, and looked at me with the door wide open, doing a dump, as though mm. I just fallen out of a tree. So, you know, the best advice we can give you is just get your head down, do your things, yeah. and don't be too surprised. A 
Okay, thanks for listening to this episode of Hey Joe. We'll be back next time with some more interesting tales of expats in China. If you like the show, please tell your friends. We're trying to spread the word, so please tell your friends by your social media or leave some comments below. Hey Joe, let's go. Hey Joe, let's go. Hey Joe, let's go. Hey Joe, let's go. Hey, Joe, let's go.